0: We're continuing this month looking at what love is this and considering what kind of love we have in Jesus Christ and all of the benefits of that love. I want to bring out this morning in John 15 that the warning Jesus gives to us, particularly, oh, let's go down to verse 18, if you will. John 15, 18, the warning that Jesus gives to us. And uh, as you read your Bible, you realize really quickly that Jesus gives warnings to us. Now, that's a righteous, holy God with a lot of integrity, to put it lightly, that He would tell us and warn us of things that are going to happen. You are not a qualified, uh, how do I put it, parent if you don't warn your children. If you just let your children go out into the world and figure things out on their own, and they sow their wild oats and everything, you're not a good parent. You're warning them before they go out and get messed up with somebody, and before they go out and make the blunders that you made. That's not fair. Now, Jesus does the same, obviously, as our Heavenly Father. He warns us. Notice what He says again. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. Verse 19, if you were of the world. The world would love, notice the word love, his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore, because of that, the world hateth you. The world hateth you. Uh, Notice, jump down, if you will, to verse 22. I want you to see this. 22, if if I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin. But now they have no cloak or covering for their sin. See, Jesus pointed out their sin. You remember back in uh, the great Sermon on the Mount. Well, I haven't done that bad, Lord. And Jesus says what? I know the law says you shouldn't kill, but my law, my authority, Jesus, I say if you just have hatred in your heart towards a brother, it's the same, right? So he says now, they have no cloak. Verse 23, he that hateth me, hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, underline that in your Bible, "'None other man did. They had not had sin. But now they have they both seen and hated both me and my Father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled. That is written in their law. They hated me without a cause.'" He quotes to them the Scripture. "'You hate me without a cause.'" Oh, no, we have a cause. Blasphemy. We have a, no, He says, you have no cause. You have ju- no justifiable cause. By the way, when they arrested Jesus on that night... We're about to celebrate it here next month. When they arrested Jesus on that night, they transgressed the law. Meaning, they did not follow the law when they arrested a human being. They took Him by night. That was not allowed. They brought false witnesses. That was not allowed. I have a book in my office, a fascinating book, written by an attorney. They stepped over something like 12 or 13 laws or rules or stipulations put in place. They stepped over those. When they arrested Jesus. okay, So they were not right to do that. They were wrong. Why? Out of hatred. Blind hatred. Now what does he say? Okay, They hated me without a cause. Now this morning, I want to point out some things. There is a love that we should avoid. <laughs> there is a love we should avoid. Or in other words, I put it misplaced love. We all have misplaced love. I heard of the old fellow. And he went into the doctor because he couldn't hear. And uh, he, he went and said, Sir, I can't hear nothing. And he said, well, we'll, get, we'll fix that. And they did, ran some tests and gave him some really good hearing, hearing aids. And he put them on his ear and he said, can you hear me now? He said, I can hear you perfectly. And the doctor whispered, he said, I can hear everything. Wonderful. He sent him home. He came in uh, about uh, two months later. He said, sir, how's everything going? I bet your family is thrilled you can hear now. And he nodded. He said, well, what's wrong? Haven't you told him? He said, no, I haven't told anybody. <laughs> He says, I just sit back and listen to all their conversations. They still think I can't hear. He said, oh, really? He said, yeah, I've changed my will about three times. (laughs) Uh, Some people uh, say they love you, right? But uh, they don't really love you. We know that to be true. There is a misplaced love, and there is a love we should avoid. Now, let's look at the first one. The first love we should avoid is that of your own life. We love our own lives. Now, for all of us, there is something ingrained within us. Inerrant within us, being born, we love ourselves. It's called self-preservation. Now, not necessarily that we're pompous and proud and uh, we stare at ourselves in the mirror all day. It's that we have self-preservation. If you've ever been around somebody who's taking their last breath or they're in a tragic situation, you realize you never feel more alive when? When you're closer to death. So we have some dear people here that have dealt with that. First responders and law enforcement. You never feel more alive when you're closer to death. Now think about this. We are warned repeatedly throughout the Scripture, and you know this, not to love ourselves, not to love our lives. Why? Again, this is just a dress rehearsal for the life to come. Don't forget that. You are awaiting eternity. How many years do you have on this earth? Well, we don't have many. Maybe 75 and 80 and above that, praise the Lord. But not long. It's just a dress rehearsal for the big show that's coming ahead. There's so many people throughout Scripture, and I, uh, for the time's sake this morning, I can't go through them all, but there's several that I thought of as I was preparing that they had a misplaced love. You look back to a man by the name of Solomon in the Old, Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, and he, he went through, and as he started out, you recall the story very well, I'm sure, he started out very well, didn't he? And, uh, he started out and he said, uh, basically, the Lord came to him, or he came, went to the Lord. And you remember the story. He said, Lord, uh, uh, I need wisdom. And uh, this is not Scripture. I'm just adding lib here a little bit. The Lord said, uh, you don't want riches? No. You don't want fame? <clears throat> no. You don't want women? He said, no. I want wisdom and discernment and judge, uh, justice. I want understanding and knowledge. I want all of those so that I can lead this so great of people. He says to the Lord, I don't know how to go out, and I don't know how to come in. Meaning, he says, I have no idea what I'm doing. By the way, it's okay if you don't know what you're doing. But don't stop there. I don't know what I'm doing. Therefore, this is what I do. I don't know what I'm doing. Therefore, it's an excuse for me to not obey the Bible. Right? Don't allow that. Solomon acknowledged that he didn't know what he was doing, but he said, Lord, since I don't, please help me. You remember when your baby was born? Your first baby? And you thought, oh my goodness, I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> and we joke with our oldest daughter, but we say, you're the burnt pancake, sorry. You know, uh, we, sorry about that, you know, honey. Because uh, she always brings it up. Well, ugh, you never let me do that. You never. Let, oh, sorry about that. We're, we're learning too. But Solomon came and he said, Lord, I need wisdom. I need guidance. Now, in the beginning, he did so well. And then what happened? I'll tell you what happened. There came a crisis point in his, in his life, as with all of us. We come to a fork in the road where we have to choose God or pleasure. This is what Paul says in the New Testament. Remember, they're lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. And there's a fork in the road. Which one? And Solomon chose pleasure. And then he got right with God. Lord, forgive me, I repent of that. But then he did it again. Repented again. Did it again. And as you progress in sin, all of us know this because we've all been there, but as you progress in sin, it gets easier and easier and easier, doesn't it? That's why Paul references in the New Testament, he says that their conscience is seared with a hot iron. You ever had a hot iron on you? Or you brand, some of you have cattle and livestock. You brand them. It leaves that scar. It's called scar tissue. And that scar tissue has no feeling, right? You ever seen those guys with, in the sororities and they brand their arms with the, <laughs> their sorority? There's no feeling there, is there? That's what he's saying. Over time, that sin goes on and on and on. You, you lose the conviction. You lose the sorrow Paul says, there ought to be a godly sorrow leading you to repentance. And Solomon said, no. He went on and on, didn't he? To where, at the end, he accumulated hundreds and hundreds of women. Not only wives, he actually married, because the woman probably forced him. <laughs> you better marry me or else. But he also had a bunch of concubines. Those are just the side chicks on the side. I mean, can you imagine that? All of those women. But it didn't stop there, did it? If it was all sexual, I'll be careful, we have a few little... If it was all sexual, that's one thing. But what did they do to him? What did they do to his heart? You remember? Well, they they pulled his heart away, didn't they? They said it's not just sex. It's not just fun. It's not just playing. Playtime. That's fun stuff. What is it? I'll pull your heart away to other gods. See, there's the problem. That's the problem we have. And with sin, what it does is it doesn't just pull us away from what we're supposed to be doing from righteousness. What does it do? It pulls us away from God and pulls us to other gods. And that's what it did to Solomon. Solomon had a misplaced love. I want to encourage you with that today. There's some love we should avoid. Now Jesus says that, what does it profit a man (laughs) if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? How many people do we see? We saw that last Sunday with the old Super Bowl, didn't we? I mean, they gain, oh, celebration, the confetti comes down. They're just jumping and hoping and praying. And, uh, well, they're not praying, but they're, they're having a good old time. And For what? A stinking trophy that they're going to go put on a shelf somewhere and collect dust. That's all it is. They gain the whole world. They get all that they ever desire. And yet what? They lose their own soul. Jesus says, what does it profit a man? You're missing the point. Throughout the Old Testament, we find it. That for thousands of years, God stretched His arm out to the nation of Israel. Why? Because they have misplaced love. And they served other gods, the Bible says. And see, that's a big no-no with God. You don't do that. They came to one point, and a man hired another man to come and curse the nation of Israel. Because he realized God was with them, and they were about to invade his country and take over. And he called this man by the name of Balaam. You remember the story. And he hires him and says, come and curse the people of God, this nation of Israel. Balaam says, no, I can't do that. God won't allow me to. Well, over time, he finally gave in and compromised and went with this man. He stood out on top of a grassy knoll and looked down into the valley of the millions of people, some believe, of the nation of Israel. And he says, I can't curse them. God won't allow me to. He told the king, he said, I told you, I can't curse the people. God won't allow me to. He says, here's what you do, though. Since I can't curse the people, here's what you do. You send your women into their camp. Send your harlots and prostitutes and others into the camp. And have them seduce the men and commit immoral acts with the men. Then God will have to judge the nation of Israel. Very sly, isn't it? Very deceptive. That's what Satan does. I've said before, Satan's not going to come and bust through the front doors. Say, here I am, pitchfork and pointy ears. No, he's sly. He's very subtle, doesn't he? Now, what did he do? He sent those women in there. And God then had to judge the people. God's hand is stretched out still throughout the scriptures. Oh, I don't have time for all those verses. Throughout the Bible, stretched out still. I'm here for you. I want to bring you back. Your love has been misplaced, but come on back. Come on back. Thinking about this. uh, John 12 and 25, he that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life. To eternal life. We don't love our lives. you ought got to take acknowledgment of that. Paul later will say in Galatians 2 and verse 20, "...for I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live, I live by the faith..." Now listen to this. "...I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave His life for me." Isn't that interesting? He says, "...I'm crucified. I now live, not for myself, but crucified unto this flesh and this world." Why? Because He loved me and gave Himself for me, that's the least I can do. And if He died for me, then I can live for Him. Now, let's look at another one. And this one, let's get past really quick, but it's about money. Money. He says, don't love money. First Timothy chapter 6. Let's go there real quick. First Timothy 6. I want to clarify a few things that many of you know already, but just clarifying. First Timothy chapter 6. <clears throat> now, He talks about this and goes through what it means. Verse 10, for the love of money. There's our word. What's the root of all evil? Is that true? Which while some coveted after, they've erred from the faith. And notice what happens. They pierce themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. Follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. He goes on. Notice that. The love of money. Now, it's not money itself. I've heard many people say, if you have money, you're not right with God. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's wrong. If you have money, then good. God's blessed you with that. He can trust you with it, apparently. I've said before, I guess he cannot trust me with money, and we know that to be true. (laughs) But nothing wrong with having money. What is it? It's the placement of money on your priority list, isn't it? He says the love of money. What does it do? It pulls you away. Two things. You err from the faith. Okay. You err from the faith. That means you fall away from the faith. You stop believing the faith. You backslide, and you pierce yourselves through. We call that today shooting yourself in the foot. A old Barney Fife. got one bullet, and he shot himself. You shoot. Isn't that true? Oh, I'm going to make money. I'm going to. Sp- I'm going to do all this, and by the and what do you do? You just hurt yourself. You hurt yourself. That's what he says. We must be very careful in that. You know the story throughout Scripture. Many stories. Of individuals who went after things they shouldn't have gone after. And allowing that thing, particularly something of money or materialism, to push them away from the Lord. He says, some have coveted after. That's exactly what it is. It's a covetousness, coveting after things. The Lord comes to the nation of Israel and He says this, I must hasten. He says that I want you to understand something. In uh, Exodus chapter 20, some of you may have gotten through that in your Bible reading. He gives the uh, list of what we call the Ten Commandments. And he emphasizes, if you notice, he emphasizes this thing called covetousness. He says, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor, nor his wife, nor his things. Why? Because they just came out of 400 and something years in the world, in Egypt. And it was no big thing to swap wives. It was no big thing to swap and steal and go steal their cattle and steal this and do this and covet after. No big deal. So now he's doing what? He's getting Egypt out of the people of Israel. And he says, Be careful about this thing of covetousness. Just let it go, okay? God didn't give you that, didn't bless you with it. That's okay. The man in the New Testament comes to Jesus, and we've said this before, but you've studied it, I'm sure. He's called the rich young ruler. Three things that the world's after. Riches, youth, and ruling, or power, popularity. Three things. And he says, Lord, I want to follow you. Jesus says, that's great. And he turns around to walk away and says, hang on a second, though. Uh, Go home and sell all you have and then come follow me. What's the Bible say? He walked away sorrowful. Sad. Put his head down. And Jesus points at the man at his back because he's walking away. He says, uh, you can't follow me and riches. You can't do it. He clarifies, you cannot serve God and mammon. Either you will love the one and hate the other, or else you would cling to the one and despise the other. You can't do it. This individual came and said, I want to follow you. Jesus said, okay, but let's get you on the priority list. Where am I at? Jesus first? Yes. We must be very careful about this putting Him first. I want to encourage you with this. Put God first in your finances. I know you know this. When you put Him first, you will see a great, great return in your finances. Now, it may not be right away, and it's not always money, is it? You give to the Lord financially. You put Him on your priority list of your giving, your tithes, and your offerings. It's not always money that He returns. It's other things, isn't it? He blesses you with He gives you health, or He provides something in your financial state with uh, paying off debt, or maybe uh, being able to purchase something of a vehicle that you need, or paying off this or that. It's not always that, but it sometimes is. And you think about prioritizing Him. Okay, let's keep going. There's another love to avoid. It's called pleasure. Pleasure. There is a pleasure in life that we should enjoy. Uh, Not always do we have to be a stick in the mud with our head in the sand. We can enjoy pleasure. We know that. pleasure's there. I uh, think about this, but I like to, uh, get when I get home, sit down and after dinner, it's always good to have about four or five scoops of ice cream. Anybody else? Okay, no, just one scoop, right, for you? One, three, okay, thank you for your honesty. And, and uh, inevitably, the kids, for some reason, they know, they, they have this like instinct, they can smell ice cream or something. They come out of the woodwork and uh, they come out of every corner of the house. Uh, do you get ice cream out? Uh, no. Uh, what? No. So I've learned now, I buy, you ever buy those Tom and Jerry ones, the little ones? You know, I can down that real quick, the whole thing, and then just get rid of them. That's a good pleasure. There's other pleasures we can enjoy. I know that. There's something we know. Be very careful. We know this. He says, be cautious. As I said before, 2 Timothy 3, he talks about lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Go with me to Romans 1, will you? Romans 1 here. Notice this with me, what he says. These individuals enjoy sin so much, they find pleasure in it. Romans 1. Now again, he's talking about this. Oh, jump down to the last verse of verse 32. Look what he says. Here it is. He just went through a bunch of characteristics of these people, these very sinful people, who, knowing the judgment of God, they're knowledgeable about God's judgment, the coming judgment. Now everybody does. As I said last week, people say, only God can judge me. Wait, 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 where'd you get that from? Who, knowing the judgment of God that they which commit such things are worthy of death. Now they know that. Not only do the same, notice, but have pleasure. Underline that, in them that do them. They literally have pleasure in being disobedient to God, even though they know God will judge me and send me to hell, I don't care. I'll do it anyways. Why? It's a blatant disregard, and it's a spit in the face of God. That's what it is. They have pleasure in them that do them. You ever question people before? I mean, you just stop and look at them and go, how can they enjoy doing that sinful thing? I mean, it's rotten. It's filthy. How do you do that? How do you find pleasure in doing those things that you know is going to hurt that child? How do you find pleasure in hurting little children like that? I mean, how do you find pleasure in the things? I can't, I just question it. It's crazy. But there is a world. Now again, we know at the end time. As God is literally raining fire down from heaven, as God is literally sending these people into the lake of fire, they are not looking up and going, Oh, I now realize, Lord, forgive me. What are they saying? It says in Revelation, they're shaking their fist at God and cursing the name of God as they're being cast out. That's what it is. Now think about that. There's a pleasure in life we've got to enjoy, but there's also pleasure to avoid. Paul goes so far in 2 Corinthians 12, He says, I find pleasure in infirmities. In infirmities. Oh, where am I going with it? I was going to quote it, but I better not. 2 Corinthians 12, let me get over there. (laughs) He says, I find pleasure in those infirmities that I go through for the sake of the gospel. Oh, verse 10 or so. Is that right? Oh, yes. Verse 10. Notice what he says. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities reproaches, necessities, persecutions, distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Notice that. He takes pleasures in it. Now, when uh, infirmities, problems, difficulties find me, what do I do? I immediately pray to God. Oh, God, remove it from me. Lord, help me. Why? Why is this happening? It's not biblical. Maybe I ought to be praying, thank you. Why? Because for some reason, when I'm weak, then He is strong. When I am put down, Christ is lifted up. It's funny to me that when I have money and the bills are paid and the wife is happy and everything's going pretty well, I don't tend to pray as much. Do you find yourself there? I don't tend to be as faithful as I'm supposed to. I don't tend to want to desire the things of God. As a, but it's when, oh, when I become weak. It's when God puts me through some fire. It's when He's doing all of this. He says, then I find that I realize now I should take pleasure in that. I realize now then I can have pleasure in infirmities. What are you going through today? I don't know. What challenges are you facing today? If it's sin involved, then handle the sin. But if you're living for God and you're still facing difficulties, maybe you ought to thank God. Now, easy to say, hard to do, and you say, well, okay, you first, Brother Tim. You ought to thank God. And say, God, maybe you're doing something in me to, to, to position me. Maybe you're doing something in me to position us as a couple to get ready for more fruit or more blessings in our lives. Paul says, I take pleasure when once I took pleasure in murdering Christians. I took pleasure in hurting people. I took pleasure in being a proud Jew. I took pleasure in people noticing my pedigrees and the decorations on my wall of all that I've accomplished and all the accolades and medals on my chest that I want. I took pleasure in that. But he says, now, after seeing the light and knowing who Jesus is, I take pleasure now in infirmities. Why? So that he'll be glorified. You know why God doesn't get glory? Because I'm in the way. I'm in the way. Pleasure. Hebrews eleven twenty five. it said of Moses, says what? Instead of enjoying the pleasures of sin for a season, he chose to suffer affliction with God's people. Again, remember Moses was, he was Pharaoh's son. And being a part of that family, you had a lot of benefits. He was very wealthy. He could have purchased and had anything he wanted. He could have had any woman he wanted. He could have had, had anything he wanted. He was powerful. He was wealthy. It's, in fact, it says, as you may have just read through your Bible reading, as the nation of Israel departed out of Egypt, it says that the Egyptians, they respected Moses. They liked Moses. They looked up to Moses. Those were the Egyptians. They knew who he was. He was very popular. He was very well known. But he says, I look at the, the landscape of life, and I look out on my three and a half million dollar home, and I stand on the balcony, and I see all the things that I have and I realized very quickly that uh, what is it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Why just recently did we hear of another celebrity that put a rope around his neck? He had everything. Why did we just hear of another celebrity that purposely overdosed on pills when they had everything? Why is it? Because they realize that they cannot gain that thing inside. They can't itch that scratch or can't scratch the itch inside. They can't do it, can they? They have to understand. We come back to say, as Moses said, listen, I choose, and as Paul said, I choose to take pleasure in that. I want to remind you, Moses would have never saw God, never been literally face to face with God on that holy mount had he stayed down in Egypt Enjoying a pleasure-filled life, right? And I want to remind you of something. You may be nothing in this world, but you serve Christ. You'll be something up there. Remember that. The people that have everything down here in this old dusty world usually have very little up there. Very little. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon this earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust nor thieves Breakthrough and steal. Now, if you follow that, those are natural things. Moth and rust. You don't have to do You just leave a garment out. You just leave something out. That's the natural process. It rusts. Moth eats it up. And then you have thieves. You think about it. Again, this is what he says. You put so much stock into it. You, you, you hoard and hold on to so many things that don't matter. Oh, you think about today. Okay, I must keep going. Then we see the world. Let me say this. Fourthly the love to avoid the world the world we must avoid this now let's go to 1 John chapter 2 1 John 2 thank you again for following me this morning 1 John 2 because he gives us a definition of this word world now again he is not speaking of this planet on which we are residing on which we live on that's not what he means when he says world what does he mean by that love not the world okay 1 John 2 verse 16 no, let's go verse 15. Could we go there? Verse 15. Sorry. But He says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Now if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here it is, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, they're temporary. He that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Notice that. Definition of what he means by the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is what has gotten humanity throughout human history. It's got us. From the very beginning, you go all the way back to the garden, and you find all three of these. She saw the fruit. It was good. Right? She saw. There's the lust of the eyes. The lust of the flesh. There it is. She realized, hey, this could benefit me. This would help me. The adversary was there, Satan, that old deceiver, the serpent, and he helped her with that. He said, if you take this, you'll become as gods, knowing good and evil. There's the pride of life. Hey, I will be somebody. We find it all the way back. And we're going to find it all the way to the end. The world today is lying in darkness, the Bible says. This is the world. We've got to love not the world. The world is something of an enemy of God. He says in James 4 and verse 4, he says, If you love the world, you're an enemy of God. You're not a friend of the you're a friend of the world, you're the enemy of God. There's enmity between you. Why? Well, it's a play on words, because if you go to John 3, what's he say? For God so loved the people. Does it say that? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. In John chapter 1, he says what? He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. He came unto His own creation. He created every single thing. Colossians 1 and 2 talk about that Jesus Himself created everything by Him and for Him. He created it. He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. This world that He died for. We must understand, does not love him back. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. Friends today don't have a love for this world. We have to be in this world. And the old analogy is that we're like a boat. The boat does pretty well. The whole purpose of a boat is to be on the water. You drive around here, you see boats sitting in front yards and backyards and used as landscape material. (laughs) It's not fulfilling its purpose. The whole purpose of the boat is to be in the water. As soon as the water, though, gets inside of the boat, then you have the problem, right? You begin to sink. We have to be in this world. We've got to live here. But my friends, I want to remind you, don't let the water in the boat. Oh, that's easy to say, hard to do. Well, not really. If you follow this book, if you seek to love God and only God, you can do it. The world around us is pulling at you every single day. I know that some of you dear people must work around some very ungodly people. I know that some of you young people have to go to school around some very ungodly people. You have to be around these people. And you have to endure some things, and you understand that. But listen, don't let them rope you in and pull you in. You have to have a a solid foundation. My friends, continue to tune your instrument before you step out on the stage. You would be foolish to perform throughout the day, and then at the end of the day, tune your instrument. You go ahead and tune it at the start of the day. Spend time with God and get your heart right with God first before you go out and perform in this old world. Think about it. Love not the world. Now this love we talk about, and I must conclude here, love is a gift of God. Love is a gift of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, he says this is the fruit of the Spirit. The very first fruit is what? It's love. Now that's not an accident. As we've been studying on Wednesday night about the Bible, there are no accidents. There's no dinks with the Bible. Everything's there in order. He didn't just come up with a random list. Uh, love, joy, peace, longsuffering. No, it's in order for a reason. The first one is love. Love. How do I love the unlovable? Me, being very non-emotional. Me, not having a lot of empathy for other people. How do I love people like I'm supposed to? How do I do what I'm supposed to do? He says it's a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit within you, if you'll let Him, if you'll let Him. It's a gift of the Spirit. Now remember that. It's a gift. It's not something you earn. It's not something you build up. It's not something you well up within you and say, okay, today I'm going to love the unlovable. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to try at this marriage. I'm going to keep going in this marriage when it's hard and it gets difficult. I can't do it. I can't do it. After all that she said to me and said about me, I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. No, you can It's a gift of the Spirit. And you let the Holy Spirit come in and you say, Holy Spirit, help me to speak and to live those things of love. Can I say also, and lastly, it's not only a gift of the Spirit, it's a gift of God. 2 Timothy 1 and verse 7. God has not given us the spirit of fear. You remember the rest of it? but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Sound mind is a disciplined mind. It's a correct mind. It's a sober mind. It's sound. It has integrity. We say often, does this building have a sound? Is it sound? Is this floor sound? What are we saying? Does it have integrity? It's a sound mind. It's a right mind. He's not giving us a spirit of fear. Let me tell you something again. If you have fear, the fear he talks about there carries with it anxiety, depression, nervousness. That's not from God. There's a healthy, godly fear. You ought to fear the wrath. You ought to fear the judgment of God. You ought to fear putting your hand on the stove, it's going to burn. You ought to fear that if you go out and commit sinful things, God'll. Ju- that's the fear we ought to have. Not the fear. The fear he's talking about to Timothy was this. Timothy was rather known, if you will, of being rather nervous all the time and anxious. He says, Timothy, God's not given you that. That's of the flesh. That's of the world. That's of our adversary. He's given you that of power. Power to what? Power to do what you've been commanded to do. See, some things in the Bible, if you read, are very hard to do. They're difficult. I can't do that. Uh, You think standing up here preaching to you is easy. It's not. Uh, I need help. There's power. You have the power to do what God's told you to do. You have the power to go and fulfill the Word of God. You have the power to keep being obedient to Him. But there's also love, as we already talked about. He's given you that, Timothy. Thirdly, there's the sound mind that He's given to you a sound mind, a sober mind. You think and you listen to the world and what they put out there. You become nervous. You become anxious. You become overwhelmed. They constantly talk about war. They constantly talk about the government falling apart. They talk about all these diseases that are in the air and floating around and everything else. You become secluded. And what they want to do is isolate you. And there's a a hidden agenda behind it. We know that. But if Satan can keep you out of church... Satan can keep you from being in your Bible. Now, to fulfill the Bible, you can't sit at home. To fulfill this book, you have to be outside the home. You've got to be working. You've got to be around people. That's the world. The world wants to put inside of you this fear and this anxiety that pushes you to the brink of almost a suicidal tendencies. And God says, I'm not giving you that, Timothy. I've given you power. I've given you love. I've given you a sound mind. And lastly, let me say, there's a church in Revelation 3. It was a good church. It was a big church. It was a strong church, but there was something wrong with it. Do you remember what it is? He says, you've lost your first love. And he makes a statement very fascinating. He says, uh, come back. See, the thing about God with us we need to understand and realize and continually remind ourselves of that God is a God of forgiveness. God continually stretches out His hand to us and says, come on, come back, come back, repent, get right. Come, Doesn't He? And he says to this church, he says, uh, listen, I have someone against you. you. You've lost your first love. Now come back. He doesn't cast them off. Some of you have had someone in your life just, I mean, they, you transgress one time. You upset them one time and they cut you off at the knees, didn't they? Ah, oh, I'm done with you. That's not God. God is a loving God. For his children, unconditional love. Now there are things that he'll do. Again, people take this conviction and chastening and correction. Those are not bad things. Those are good things. God is working in our lives to bring us back to him. it's too late. He says to this church, you've lost your first love. You've gone away. And by the way, it's not complicated. He says, come back to the first works. Come back to the original. What's the original? It's not hard. Follow the book. Pray. Be faithful. Be strong. Be spiritual. Avoid sin. Work at it. Don't be worldly. Don't love your life. Don't love money. Don't love pleasure. Don't love the world. Apply the gift of the Spirit, which is love, and apply the gift of God, which is power, love, and a sound mind. Can we do it today? I know we can. All right. I want to encourage you with that this week. There's a love to avoid. There's some misplaced love. God is not done with you yet. He says, uh, Tim, come on back. Well, I misplaced my love a little bit this week. Come on back. That's okay. I know. There's forgiveness. There's repentance. You may have to deal with some of the consequences of your sin. We can't get out of that. Okay. And there are people today still dealing with the consequences of sin. But he says, there's forgiveness, and I want to help you. Have you lost your love this week? Misplaced it a little bit? Got a little sidetracked, as I have, with other things? Come on back. God's waiting, isn't He? How many say amen to that? Praise God for our loving Savior. Amen? All right. Well, would you stand with me if you're able to? We'll stop right there, and I thank you for listening this morning. I hope that something said was a help to you. Don't lose your first love. Come on back. It's not complicated, you can do it. You can do it. We'll just have a verse of invitation this morning. And Again, I encourage you each week, but right where you are, just ask the Lord to help you. If there's something, something in your life you need to get right with Him and confess and repent of, please do that. If you're not saved this morning especially, I'd love to take the Bible and show you how to be saved. Altar is always open if you need it as well.